I've never necessarily considered myself like that talented and I love it when my friends or family will disagree with that but because what I'm trying to say is I always figured as long as I had the drive and as long as I put in more hours than people that were more talented than me I could get farther. Working with Quincy Jones definitely taught me some stuff. What he offered instead of lots of criticism and lots of looking over your shoulder he offered motivation and that was more his style. The rest was now be you, now do it. That kind of brings me to Sia, I guess. Her voice is so spectacular, and her delivery is so amazing. It doesn't matter what microphone you record her with. It doesn't matter what... (laughs) You know what I mean? You could do a whole album of her singing into a phone or an answering machine, and, like, it would sound awesome. That is Grammy-nominated songwriter and music producer Rob Kleiner, and you're listening to Timeboxing. Hey, welcome back. This is a podcast about balancing creativity, productivity, and sanity. I am Carl Sondral, a composer and music producer in Little Armenia, East Hollywood, California. All's well here. This month was sort of all over the place. I've been producing a rapper. I played accordion for a four-hour children's theater adaptation of Deadwood. And I produced the music for a sort of deranged reading rainbow video by Funny or Die. LeVar Burton himself was in it, which was the fulfillment of some sort of weird childhood dream. Because I read a book, I can literally do anything. Reading rainbow. Reading rainbow. Most recently, I collaborated with the awesome filmmaker Giga Shane and his three-year-old daughter Mila. Mila improvised a song called Everyone's Bee is Important. Giga created an animation to go with it, and then I got to add sound effects and a little bit of accordion. Everyone's bees important. It makes honey for you and me. It always makes a good job making honey. If you're curious, you'll find a link to those last two in the show notes. Anyway, look at this. If you do any kind of creative work and are trying to make a career of it, I highly recommend an article or really manifesto by Jesse Thorne called Make Your Thing. Subtitle, 12-point program for absolute... I don't think I can do a voice. Subtitle, 12-point program for absolutely, positively, 1,000% no-fail guaranteed success. Jay Allison of the Moth Radio Hour describes it better than I could as containing fascinating parables from comedy, hip-hop, blogging, cartooning, and more. Jesse's own experience stretches across all sorts of independent media and performance. His words are practical and inspirational and funny. They'll help you do better work. I completely agree. Many people will already have read this, but I just wanted to share it. It's, It's something that really resonated with me. Google Jesse Thorne, make your thing, or click the link in the description of this show. Hey, hey. Disclaimer. <laughs> How's it going? Good. Uh, is, is that part of it? Sometimes, yeah. That's Rob Kleiner asking about my confusing text message trying to explain I'd be recording our hello. I'm fired. I met Rab around 2008 in Chicago when he needed an accordionist for a sort of circus metal band he was producing, but I actually knew of him 
years before from his band Tubrin, an experimental rock group that spent over a decade touring relentlessly. I mean, hundreds of shows a year. (laughs) When he wasn't touring, he was running an independent studio in Chicago and scoring indie films. We played together in a band that never quite came to fruition, but became friends and ended up moving to LA around the same time. He knew the time was right after doing a song with CeeLo Green for one of the Twilight movies. That earned him a Grammy nomination. days he's an in-demand songwriter and producer working with the likes of Sia, John Bryan, and even Quincy Jones with Nicky Yanofsky. Nicky's album recently became the number two album in France and will be out in the U.S. soon. Anyway, here we go. Rob Kleiner, how's it going? Good, how are you? (laughs) I'm doing well. You are a composer, songwriter, and music producer. What first drew you to making music? Uh, I think I got MTV when I was like in fifth grade and thought it was like the coolest thing in the world. And from then I wanted to make music. Was there a particular video or like a couple that struck your interest? Probably like some glam metal hair bands. Maybe Guns N' Roses are like poison or something. I don't know. Something probably not good. <laughs> Although Guns N' Roses is still good, but I think whatever was on MTV in the 80s. Rob makes many different types of music, anything from pop to soul to hip-hop to film scores. I asked him about his voice as a songwriter and producer, because one thing I especially appreciate about all of his work is that however diverse it may be, it's all very Rob. Well, I like hearing that. It's very Rob. Um, It was funny because when I was in my bands, that was the biggest problem was I had so many influences and so did the other people in in my band, Tubbering, that like our sound wasn't very cohesive all the time. That was like hard to pigeonhole us. And that would sound kind of cool on the surface, but it was also hard to not have a sound. This magazine doesn't want to write about you because you're not this or that radio station doesn't want to play you because you're not that. And since you're all over the place and you don't fit in any box, it almost felt like we were on our own. And But I couldn't have done that any other way because like, I would have got too bored playing just punk rock or just jazz or just classical, just, you know, whatever. And so I guess what's cool about being a writer is you're more free to do that, having all these different genres that mm-hmm. I like and that I can do and to not be tied down to a specific thing is, is a good thing as opposed to when I think in his band it's kind of a bad thing. Shake this fear 
Do you feel like your voice has changed when you're working on different things? Did different projects and bands influence you in certain ways and push you in certain directions? I mean, I think the direction of what I write is constantly being influenced by what I'm listening to. So if I'm on a big soul kick from, you know, 2011 to 2012, then I'm writing soul probably that whole time. Or if I'm on a big hip-hop kick from June to October, I'm writing hip-hop. You know what I mean? And so I, I think that's what influences it the most. prolific and driven people I know, but also one of the most relaxed and seemingly balanced. What's going on? <laughs> uh, well, thanks. Um, I don't know. As far as the driven part, I've never necessarily considered myself like that talented, and I love it when my friends or family will disagree with that, but I went to school with a lot of people just as talented as me, or even more talented that I guess didn't do as much in music, but I guess what I'm trying to say is I always figured as long as I had the drive and as long as I put in more hours than people that were more talented than me, I could get farther. So I, I guess I make up for whatever shortcomings I, I think I have or that I have by just trying to work as hard as I can to get good at what I do. And then the relaxed part, uh, <laughs> I don't know, I'm probably like just freaking out on the inside a lot and I'm good at hiding it. I, I think I'm just a good faker. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of reassuring to hear that. <laughs> uh, is there anything you do to make sure you're not overdoing it, to help maintain that balance, to make sure that you can keep putting out good work in the future? That is definitely, like, it's tricky. I kind of learned that I have to make myself take breaks sometimes. It's almost like your creativity is almost like a cup filled with creativity juice. And like if you're always pouring it out and never filling it back up with inspiration, you kind of just run empty and your ideas start to sound like old ideas or copying other stuff, not good, not original. I found that you have to just take a day off every once in a while and do some other stuff. And definitely listen to other music, I think, is really important. If, yeah, if you're not taking time to have a life, then what are you really writing about, right? Like, how are you going to connect with somebody if you don't have a common experience? Yeah, not only that, but if you... Just little things, like if you're not staying up on what's current in the world or what's current in music or in other art, I think those are all important things to stay up on because it's all like an evolution of, of everything. Everything's an evolution. And so, I don't know, if you get stuck and put yourself in a bubble, some people could probably do it, make good music in a bubble, but I, I definitely can't. You don't, you don't often hear of cases where that turns out well, like the geniuses who lock themselves away. Yeah. But there's some, right? What about, yeah, certainly. What about that guy in that Netflix documentary that Scott uh, got something stuff? Anyways, this is like this reclusive hermit guy that comes out of a, his log cabin once every 10 years and makes like a brilliant album. <laughs> I'll have to check that out. Yeah. 
We'll look up the Scott name. Something. Scott something. <laughs> Scott Walker, 30th century man. So I have a couple more process-oriented questions for okay. you. Say you're writing or producing on a tight deadline. Do you have a typical approach to that? For example, do you spend time trying out four or five different ideas, or do you more often just go right away with your initial instincts? I think, fortunately, I don't have to work with deadlines too much anymore. Um, And beyond that, if something is taking me more than, like, a couple days, I feel like I probably wasn't the right guy for the job. So I guess I don't find myself in that situation a lot. And to answer your question about instincts, I think that is also a really important part of someone's creative process. Not only to use your instincts, but to trust your instincts. And sometimes for better or for worse, too. process-wise is it's okay to write a bad song. It sounds really elementary and basic, but it's some something that you sometimes have to tell yourself, I think, to really... And it's important to write some bad songs. Right. It's, it's kind of like if you don't allow yourself the risk of writing a bad song, then there's going to be a lot of things you never explore, right? Totally. Yeah. And it's okay to. That's the other thing. You're not meant to hit a home run every time you're at bat, you know? And if you could, then... I guess you wouldn't have any issues with anything. It wouldn't be very human. Yeah, yeah. One bad habit I sometimes have when working on a song is I'll listen to a part or section so many times that I'll start to get used to it instead of working on it, which is really just procrastination disguised as trying to put myself in the listener's shoes. I imagine this is something that can happen in any kind of creative work, and I asked Rob if he ever runs into this. Without a doubt, sometimes people call that demoitis. So they hear something that's not finished or not complete or maybe not even good enough times and it sounds right because they've heard it so many times. And I think I've found a good way to work around that is I used to be very strict, work on one song, finish it, then do a new song, then finish it, then do another song and, and a very like serial pattern one at a time, where I think it's not ideal. I think it's ideal to have a couple different projects going on or a couple different songs. You work on one and you get it pretty far, but then you take a break from it for a day and walk away from it and maybe work on some other stuff. And then you walk away from the other stuff and you come back to the first thing you did. And if you can get it out of your head for a couple days, a lot of times you can listen with fresh and objective ears. Mm -hmm. And something I never used to do, but now I intentionally make myself do it. And I think it really helps on avoiding that little pitfall of demoitis. Yeah, that's so tricky. Finding the balance of keeping fresh perspective on it, right? Not listening to something so much that you forget why you thought it was good in the first place. It's super important. And it helps, too, if you've got somebody that'll lend you their ear and give you their opinion, somebody that you could trust. And I'm lucky enough to have like a couple of people that do that for me. That's a huge help if you've got somebody that can kind of be like an editor for you.
How about distractions, email, Facebook, that kind of thing? Do you have approaches to making sure that you are using your time the way you want to? I definitely get distracted from time to time with emails or Facebook or right now I've got this really bad addiction to this game on my iPhone, which oh, yeah. is like, it's yeah, it's really bad. It's like a nasty habit. It's like smoking or something. It's like I'm ashamed of it. <laughs> I hate waking up and wanting to play it, but I right. do no matter what. And uh, I think you're never going to be able to avoid that stuff entirely. For me, I set myself deadlines. I wake up and I say, I want to get this done, X, Y, and Z done today. And if I goof around a bunch during the day and don't stay focused, that just means I'm up later working on stuff. Oh, wow. So you hold yourself accountable. There's no other person who's saying, Rob, where's the thing? No. And I think that's good because I don't think I could handle another person doing that. But I might not be good at making sure I don't goof around a bunch during the day. But when I wake up, I tell myself I need to get this much done today. And I do. It's pretty rare that I don't. And if I don't, then I start freaking out and wake up early the next morning and get right on it. Nice. Yeah, that has never been too tricky for me. Although I still wish some of those distractions weren't there. I had a bad experience with Angry Birds Star Wars a while ago. Because I was sick one time and I'm like, oh, I'll just treat myself to this. I keep hearing about this game. Man, I like beat every level and then I had to three star every level. Right, gotta go back. (laughs) I think I deleted it once and then I reinstalled it again sometime. Uh, and I finally kicked it the second time. Terrible. I've never had a cigarette, but I feel like that thing... It's the same thing, right? I've never had a cigarette either, but it's definitely an addiction. Because I find myself thinking about it, even when I'm not doing it, I kind of think like, oh, you know, later I I got an idea where I can beat that level or whatever. It's nasty. I do think about deleting my stupid game right now all the time. Final stage, golden age, high school winner, keep my name on the page. Obviously, this is Rob's video game themed band, Super 8 Bit Brothers. I got into one of those like World of Warcraft type games and those are nasty real nasty where you're logging on and you're meeting up with people and you're making coordinated efforts to do stuff and and you get lost in it and I kind of look back I didn't do anything in 2005 like I just played this stupid game I mean I did other stuff but I thought about all the time I wasted and so like I deleted it and I hadn't played a video game since 2005 or 2006 almost none until the iPhone came out and like you said, oh, I heard about what's this Angry Birds or whatever these people talking about. So yeah, there's games on there, and, and iPhone is such a cool phone. I never bought any of the consoles or installed games on my computer. But you're waiting for the train, or you're waiting for the bus, or you're waiting for your plane. You got literally nothing to do. So, oh, that's cool. I've got Angry Birds. I got a little game on there, and that's totally innocent. And that's a great way to kill time when you're in an environment like a plane or something. And you need, you've got a couple hours, you got to entertain yourself. Right. Perfect. But then what starts to happen is you find yourself playing it in times when it's not killing time. Well, let me just play a little bit of this before I start work today. And then it's like you're working and, oh, man, I, I'm thinking about that game again. And then you go back to it and it just gets progressively worse and snowballs. It starts out so innocently, though, you know? Yeah. That's how it is for me. 
No, I'm with you, man. I basically swore off video games. I don't know when it was, like about five years ago, except for this little Angry Birds relapse. I just thought there's things in my life that are important and things that are not important mm. and things that are urgent and not urgent. Right. This is not urgent or important. No. And it's taking away from time. I could be making something cool or talking to my friends or something. Yeah. Well, we have an identical experience with that because <laughs> that's exactly how it went down for me. Right. Um, or wine, is that cool? Oh, yeah, no problem. Sure. This is my first interview with wine. I think I like it better than. Oh, yeah. I assumed you were doing that at all. No, they've been like daytime interviews before. And when I'm feeling like a half empty cup, you come along to pick me right Given the caliber of people Rob has worked with, like Sia, CeeLo, Quincy Jones, I asked if there had been any particularly instructive moments or lessons he'd picked up while collaborating. Working with Quincy Jones definitely taught me some stuff. He's not looking over somebody's shoulder. His production style was really cool, and I guess I feel it was similar to mine, but it was even more laid back. He would let the artist be the artist. We were working with Nikki Yanofsky. Just let her be her. Instead of, well, you didn't sing that the way I hear it, or you didn't say this word the way I think it should be. What he offered, instead of lots of criticism and lots of looking over your shoulder, he offered motivation. Before she did a take, he would say, okay, this song is about this, so you got to really put yourself in that position where you're going through this right at this time and so that's what's got to come out kind of like an actor before they do a scene giving them the motivation for what they're singing or acting about and that was more his style the rest was now be you now do it interesting so he's more concerned about the emotion of the thing than the specific details of how she delivers it right absolutely yeah. It was not detail-oriented, and I'm sure he cares about that stuff, but I think his philosophy was that, as a producer, his job was to provide encouragement and raw understanding of what's happening and the motivation for that, and maybe the engineer's job is to sift through what happens next. Yeah. It's a cool process. I agree with that quite a bit. I mean... Hopefully you're working with artists that have something to say and something to offer. And yeah. I don't know, it's just best to let the artist be the artist. You know, that's really interesting because I, I keep hearing that sort of pattern coming up in any creative work. Yeah. For instance, engineers talk a lot about if you want to have a good sound, first you need to have a good instrument and a good musician and a good room. Totally. And so it's more about just capturing it correctly instead of trying to tweak it into mm. something else later that's a really good way to put it absolutely that kind of brings me to Sia I guess her voice is so spectacular and her delivery is so amazing it doesn't matter what microphone you record her with it doesn't matter <laughs> what you know what I mean you could yeah. do a whole album of her singing into a phone or an answering machine and like it would sound awesome it has way less to do with like you said tweaking things just capturing what's happening is what it's all about and with her when she sings i don't know if this is okay with her and i don't know if she knows that i do this but i leave not mistakes but little weird intricacies that might not be technically perfect all the time and even in her big songs like even in chandelier you can hear her voice like squeak and crack and like die when she hits certain notes 
Yeah. But, like, that is definitely the charm of her voice. And I remember when I first started recording her, I would think, well, do you want to do that again? Like, your voice kind of, like, cracks in that one spot. But I guess I wasn't accustomed to a singer like that at first. But nowadays, I get that's her voice. And, mm-hmm. and it would sound lame if she didn't do that. Well, it's so unique, but it's also very human. Yeah. And it's got character, is what it boils down to. There's a million great singers out there both technically and having great tone but you stand out by the way you deliver and the little subtle nuances in your voice is what makes a great voice really great hey i heard you are a wild one Ooh, I also asked Rob if he has any recent or new projects he's particularly excited about. So upcoming stuff. This week I'm working with a band called Atlas Genius. And I'm really excited about that. They're from Australia and they blew up a couple years ago kind of underground and then it became major label stuff and they're really cool dudes. And then this soul singer named Andra Day on Warner Brothers. Actually they're both on Warner Brothers. Those are my two upcoming things that I'm really excited about. And then I've been working the last six months quite a bit with this rapper who you know from Chicago, Serengeti. Yeah, yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, and he had just stayed with me for another week a couple weeks ago, and we did six songs in a couple days. It was cool. Will that be out soon? I have no idea. Um, He's so prolific. He puts out like three or four albums a year. And so I think he's very anxious to put out what we've done. Where I'm used to a song I write not coming out for like a year and a half after I write it. So I'm going to mostly leave it to him, but I don't know when it's going to come out. What is the best way for people to keep up with your work? Mm, Being my friend. (laughs) (laughs) We live in 2014, Rob. I mean, I got Facebook and Twitter and my website, but I don't know. I find myself more and more bored with all that stuff. What about you? I think it can be very useful. Our heroes are a lot more accessible than they ever have been before, which I think is really cool. Mm -hmm. I think it's really easy to get swept up in the whole self-promotion blitz. It's certainly important to, now that we have more ways than ever to find our audience, to do that. Mm -hmm. But the trick is doing it in a way that's not skeezy. Yeah. It's weird, man. When I was, you know, a starving artist, for sure I looked at Twitter and Facebook and even MySpace as a way, like you said, to promote yourself. If you're in a band, if you're scoring a film, that's how I looked at it then. Nowadays, being a writer and producer, I guess I'm still promoting myself and that anybody could hire me if they can pay my production fees or whatever. You don't have to be a famous artist or a publisher or a label. So in a way, I guess I am still promoting myself, but I just don't, it's not a priority anymore. And I guess what's weird for me now is all I end up doing is posting like, I just got the number two song in France or, and then I think, do I look like a total douche to like everybody that reads my stuff? Because all I ever post (laughs) is like my accomplishments. The only reason I do it is just, I guess the one last cool thing to me about Facebook and Twitter is when I come over to hang out with you, it's like, oh... I kind of heard what you did, and then we could talk about it a little, instead of like, so Carl, just so you know, I got the number two song in France right now. You know what I mean? And so, so on one hand, I always feel a little 
skeezy and douchey putting what I do up, but even my mom and dad, that's how they find out what I'm doing, yeah. or my sister. So I feel weird, but I feel like it's okay to do. But I wonder if acquaintances or people that don't know me as well think like, God, he doesn't talk about politics or anything or put funny cat videos up. All he does is talk about all the records he makes. Right. Living in L.A., especially working in entertainment, you just meet so many people and a lot of cool people. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to keep in touch with everyone. Sure. So I think it is a really cool way to loosely keep in touch with people that you don't see that often. Yeah. But I'm happy that you post the things you post. So. Well, thanks. <laughs> At least one person doesn't think I'm a douche. You and my parents. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks a lot for uh, talking to me, Rob. This is really fun. Thanks for talking to me. And that's Rob Kleiner, pretty much the gold standard for the work ethic and level of talent I aspire to. Check the description of the show for links to listen or buy his music. Thanks as always for listening. You'll find more episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, etc. As of this recording, it's had over 1,500 listens, which is awesome. If you do like the show and want to help more people find it, consider sharing or leaving a star rating in iTunes. Or if you really want to help, the best way is to write a little review in iTunes. I'd love to hear any other feedback as well. Just email timeboxingpod at gmail.com or reach me on Twitter at Sondrol. That's S-O-N-D-R-O-L. Or you can visit timeboxingpod.com, which is also the place to hear more of my film music or music music. The great musicians featured in my music this time include Angeline Dragasson, Mela Lee, and Mila Shane on vocals, Heather McIntosh on cello, Eleanor Wiegert on bass clarinet. But mostly I used Rob's music in this episode. In order of appearance, you heard the CeeLo track, What Part of Forever, Tub Ring's Stop This Now, Haley Reinhardt's Oh My, Candace Glover's Same Kind of Man, Rob's solo track, Five Hour Crush, Super 8 Bit Brothers' 2600 Refugee, and Flowrida featuring Sia, Wild Ones, which Rob engineered on. All right, next time I'll be speaking with a comic artist behind Axe Cop and Bearmageddon, Ethan Nicole. Okay, bye.